Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study that we're doing of the New Testament. We've been working through the New Testament pretty much a chapter at a time for the last two and a half years or so. And uh, we've done good. We're, we're making great progress. We've gone through the Gospels, through the book of Acts. We've done First and Second Thessalonians. And now we're looking through the book of First Corinthians. What we're doing is, you know, we haven't taken them necessarily in order. We did... Um, Matthew, Mark, and John, and then we did Luke and Acts together because they're both written by Luke. And now what we're doing, since we talked at length about the missionary journeys of Paul, we're, we're looking at the letters that Paul wrote in the order we believe that he wrote them, back to the churches. And um, he would write these letters, these epistles that we have that make up most of the New Testament, back to churches where he'd been and started, who then had questions and were, were trying to get Paul to uh, they were trying to get Paul to give them some answers because the church was brand new and there was a lot of questions and there was a whole lot of stuff going on and Gentiles had been added into this whole thing and, and so then they came from a lot of varied cultures and there was a lot of stuff in the mix that they were trying to address. And um, we're in the book of Corinthians now. The Corinthians were a particularly interesting group. Um, they had been really gifted of the Lord in the spiritual gifts and were moving mightily, but they were from such a licentious culture, um, and, and by that I mean the culture was so depraved that some of that had crept right into the church, and Paul was having to deal with it and was introducing new concepts to them, and like I said, he'd only been there for a certain amount of time, and then he had to leave, and so there was a lot of issues that had come up, and we'd been dealing with division in the church. That was the, the first thing he sort of tackled. And then what comes to Paul is a series of questions, um, we believe from the way that he answers these, about uh, marriage in the church, uh, what it looks like and what's going on and how different it is um, in the new church compared to what's been happening in their culture for so long. They had a lot of questions. And, and most of this centers around, and, and this is an interesting um, thing to think about, um, Gentile nations um, at, the, at this time, mostly and, and in, in throughout Old Testament times, um, the women had very little value. Um, the, the men sort of controlled them, basically owned them, used them, and discarded them, and that was the state of the world at the time. It's still that way in some places. And when, when Jesus comes into the situation, and there in the new church, as Paul comes in, and the Spirit comes and gives gifts, he gives gifts to both men and women. And what is introduced into that whole culture is an equality of persons. And this changes the entire dynamic in the culture, and it causes all sorts of situations to, to come in, into being. And it, and it, it impacted their, their union and the way they looked at life, and there was a lot of big changes that had to happen. But, but um, as, as women possessing spiritual gifts, it gave them an, an, a new identity um, and, and a great personal worth and value that they didn't have previously because it wasn't available to them. And so um, the Christian uh, influence is significant in raising the level of womanhood to, to equality. It, it happened in the early church. It, it actually, um, people have uh, issues with that because of some of the rules in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament, uh, among all the other cultures, valued women more than all the other cultures. And um, uh, there were some laws that weren't really good that Jesus talks about being in place because of the hardness of men's heart. 
But even throughout the Old Testament, it talks about a day when there will be this equality between men and women, and it comes in Christ. And so introducing it into culture, though, is, is really something else, especially in a culture as, as far off as the Corinthian culture was. And so in saying that, I, I want to I say this, that... Um, the Bible is very consistent in its attitude towards women. Genesis 1 um, affirms the full personhood of Eve um, created in God's image, male and female. And she shared fully in the dominion which God intended mankind to exercise over creation. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God said to them, be fruitful and subdue. They, they were, there was an equality in the initial creation between men and women. However, when sin entered the world, it messed up everything badly. And um, in the fallout, um, men and women were given different roles. They, they were given different roles. This was part of the fallout of sin. Um, the, the, the women were called to submit or support their husbands, and the husbands were called, in effect, to love their wives. They were to love their wives so well that the supporting part should come very naturally. And yet, sin warped the entire thing, as it always does, and suddenly the idea of submission became a denial of worth, and authority became the right to use and discard. That's the issue. That's what happened. You still see it happening today. There's a misunderstanding of biblical principles and equality in personhood. And so um, uh, when Jesus comes, things begin to change, and we, and we see Paul uh, begin to teach about it. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, there, we weren't to classify people as less than uh, and more than, um, they were equal. And in Acts 2.17, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters, will prophesy. See, there was this big thing happening, um, and, and it was being restored. Uh, and, and yet, in, in its restoration, it caused a bunch of problems that needed to be dealt with, with women and men in the process. But, um, so Paul, see, sometimes people, as, as you read 1 Corinthians 7, and you get into some of 11, some people take that as Paul, you know, putting women down, and then not. He's, he's trying to restore um, the, the quality in the personhood and put things into perspective uh, in what the new relationship looks like. So hang, that, uh, hang on to that in context as we dig into 1 Corinthians uh, 7 together, okay? So 40 verses, beginning of verse 1, I'm going to read them to you and then we'll chat about them. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife, 
To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he was a free man when he was called as Christ's slave. You were brought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him to. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean... What... Hey, you guys laughed. I didn't. I want it to be noted on the video that was them. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who had settled the matter in his own mind, who is under uh, no compulsion but has control over his own will, and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. I think that I too have the spirit of God. And blessed be the word of the, God, of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that, that doesn't really need any explanation, does it? All right, so what you have to remember when you read the text, you have to hold it in context as to what's going on. Because if you just take dribbles and drabs of this and trying to apply it in a situation that doesn't apply, it becomes something else entirely. And that's what people have done over the years. They try to beat up people with the scriptures. Let me also say, this is, uh, you know, 
We live in a broken world on a fallen planet, and we've all sinned. And because of that, there's consequences. And so we've all made choices, and it's all part of the deal. And I'm a firm believer in second, char- uh, second chances and new beginnings and mercy and grace and all those things. So, so, you know, I don't want anybody sitting here feeling guilty in whatever situation they happen to be in at the moment. This is just what Paul was writing to, and it applies particularly in the area of men and women and their relationship to God and one another and how it's supposed to be. And, and the things that Paul's writing back to in these questions. Now remember, when, I, when we started this introduction, Corinth was a mess. And, and the, the practices that the people had come out of were occultic, and, and they, they worshipped um, at, at, you know, at false uh, temples where normally the worship had to do with prostitution, cult prostitution, both male and female. And it was part of the twisted religion of the day. And so they were coming out of that. So that whole atmosphere had pervaded their society. All right? It was a mess. And Paul's having to speak back into that. Now, they also had this whole thing of the equality of women and men, and, and, and they weren't equal um, prior to the introduction into Christ and the pouring out of the gifts. And suddenly women found this whole new um, avenue of expression and, and worth in the Lord. And, and so there was this whole big dynamic change that happened all at once. So that's what Paul's having to deal with in this situation. And so the, the first part there, the first nine verses in seven, um, Paul's answering the question, I believe, does women's full equality rule out marriage? And you have to read what Paul says, because the way he says it, he says it's good for a person not to marry. He says that, but he's not saying that that's the standard. He actually says that marriage is the normal state of men and women. That's what Paul says. Paul's saying that he has a gift of celibacy, and he thinks it's a great gift in his situation, and he wishes a lot of people had it. But the reality is, not many people do. All right? It's just not something that you find that often. You just don't. I've met a lot of people. There's not many people with that particular gift. All right? It's not a bad thing. It's just the reality of the situation. But it was Paul's gift, and he was saying it'd be a lot easier for you if you had that gift. And, and he's saying, especially in, in your ministry, just be, it would make life easier. And, and there's certainly some understanding behind that of what that looks like. But um, he, he says, and what he says next, he goes in and says that one of the purposes of marriage is to help satisfy our God-given sexual desires in a holy way. It's part of the purpose of marriage. And then he shakes up the culture tremendously by saying it's not only the man that has material rights, desires, and needs, the woman has them as well. Full sexual equality and partnership in marriage is an early Christian teaching. So uh, sometimes people go, you know, Christian, it's, it's from the very beginning was this equality and this standard of men and women loving each other well in the Lord. And, and so that was what Paul was addressing. Um, see, because what would happen, here's, here's, here's a situation, maybe I'm not explaining it well. Women in this new sort of empowered place we're saying, I, I want to find out who I really am out of the bondage of this guy that I've been, you know, stuck under for so long, and I want out, because that's where I'll find myself. And so that's, a, um, that's one movement away. Um, other, other people, you know, and they twist this whole issue, um, some, some of the men might have been saying things like, well, I want to have a really spiritual life, and so we're not going to have any sexual life any longer. Because, um, you know, in the, it's kind of two extremes, in, and there has been forever, 
uh, in, in the dynamic of relationship and spiritual relationship with God, um, there's an asceticism that comes in which um, sort of says that in order to really be holy, you need to abstain from ever um, dealing with your bodily desires that are God-given, and that's how you become holy, um, and it's not true. The other extreme is that since it's all physical, it doesn't have anything to do with your spiritual relationship, so you can do whatever you want to do. That's the other extreme. Neither are true. The, the reality is somewhere in the middle. And husbands and wives were created to love each other well in every way that God has gifted us. And so that's what Paul is, is saying. No, you guys need to, you need to, this isn't that what's going on. You need to stay together in the process. And then verses 10 and 11 says, what about divorce? And um, like I was just saying, they, some of these women just wanted a divorce based solely on their, their new finding in God of their value and worth and felt like they wanted out. And Paul said, look, that's not a good reason to, to get out of that marriage. Likewise for husbands, same way. This whole thing, this new thing is not an excuse to, to bail out of the situation that you are in. Um, you know, it's a, because I need to say this. Um, when the covenant has been broken by one part or the other, that's, that's, that's when it becomes even sort of permissible if it just can't be reconciled. But that's at that point, all right? Uh, other than that, we're just supposed to stick out um, uh, the best that we can. But, you know, things happen. I understand that. So he's saying, listen, you need to stick it out. What about unbelieving spouses was the other question in verses 12 through 16. Some people were married, and they were married to unbelievers. And they said, well, what do we do with that? And Paul's saying, if they want to stay with you, stay. Because your, your ministry in their life might be that they come to Christ. But if they want out, then they're out. It's, you don't have to feel guilty about that. So he's, and it works both ways. And uh, some of you are in that situation. I know we, we, we work through that stuff all the time. Um, uh, that's just part of what's going on here in, in Corinth. Then in verse 17 through 24... Uh, Paul gives a principle for this because an underlying reason for the question I touch on this was that people now in this new reality of Christ sort of wanted to figure out who they were um, and they thought that in order to do that they needed to be free of what they'd come from. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how you do that. Um, you, you can find out who you are in Christ in the situation that you're in um, and, and that you need to uh, you know, stay in that if it's at all possible. Um, because uh, so, a, a woman would want a divorce so she could have a separate identity now in this newness or, you know, like I said, a man wanted to make his marriage spiritual by eliminating sex, whatever the situation. Paul's saying, listen, um, you need to work through these things. And he says this, which is interesting in verse 17. Each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, what that means, I think what that means, is that God has assigned us roles in life. And God is, has called us to live in that role. And, and what Paul is saying is that women in Corinth would find themselves not by seeking emancipation, but by living out their calling as women. And men would find themselves by living out their calling as men. See, it's, it's always about serving God that we discover who we are. And so, see, our culture's messed all that up still because we, we haven't been able to rest in the fact that there's an equality between men and women, um, and, and so there's been this competition, still exists, about who's where and how that all works out. And, and yet, the difference is we've been given different roles, and that's what makes a difference. And there's not a less than or more than role. There's just different roles that we've been given. Men and women have been called to different things, and it's, it's good. 
And that the way that you find out who you really are is by doing the best that you can in that role. So if you're a man, the way that you find out is being by the best man that you can be. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're a woman, the, the way you figure that out is by being the best woman you can be in the Lord. Those are good things. But our culture gets us backwards sometimes because it says, oh no, well, that's, how can that be right? You know what? It, see, it's not about an equality thing. It's about moving into the roles God has called you to and that there's no less than and more than. That's a, that's a twist that didn't come from God at all. All right. Um, now, the whole thing about virgin daughters, 25 through 38, because we don't, that, at the time, in the culture, arranged marriages were the norm. People arranged marriages. And, um, and so they would keep their daughters in a certain way, and they, there would be a time coming when they were betrothed to a particular husband, and, um, the, you know, when that was happening. Now, there was some sort of crisis going on at the time. We're not sure exactly what it was. But they all felt like time was short. In this moment in time, they felt like the end was very near. And that, you know, that was the, what they all worked under, that Jesus was coming back at any time, um, that he would be back. And that was what they were all, they felt like they would all see him come back. And so they're in some sort of crisis that they're relating to being very close to the end of time. And Paul says, you know, because of the times, uh, if you don't need to get married, you probably shouldn't. But if you've been betrothed and this is supposed to work out and you feel like you're supposed to, go ahead, get married. That's not wrong to get married, get married. And now, obviously, it's been a lot longer. I mean, if we hadn't kept getting married, we wouldn't be here anymore. <laughs> that would have been a significant problem. So, uh, and you'll see later on, apparently the crisis subsides a little because in, in, in Titus and stuff, when he's writing, he's, he's got a different take on it. So there was something going on at the point that he's writing this that they, they looked like things were going to end real quick. And so he's saying, you know, because of the present crisis, crisis I... I, I, you know, if you can get away with not doing it, don't do it. But he also says if you, if you need to get married, which is the normal state of people. God's given us, see, it's a God-given thing. And, and that's why it's a God-given gift not to be in that state. But for most of us, that's where he, he God uses marriage in so many ways to straighten us all out. Um, because we, we're a mess otherwise. We need each other uh, in this life. So, um, He's saying, you know, if, if you need to if get married, get married. If you can hold off, hold off. But it had to do with the present situation. And then it's a question about widows. Widows are free to remarry, but to other Christians. Um, they needed to make sure that that was happening. So, so in reality, you know, the, the big part about this, a lot of stuff in there, I get that. God's assigned us roles in life. And he calls us to live in that place. And it's by affirming the worth and the value of who we are, not in str- struggling to be something we're not, that we find fulfillment. See, that's where we find life, in, in just figuring out who we are in him and then being the best that we can be in that. Okay, so try not to take all this stuff and, and just, you know, beat yourself up with it. Um, I, everybody's where they're at right now, and we, we you know, we, we, we press on with what we've got and what we know and trying to do the next right thing, okay? And then doing the best we can in our relationships, in our relationship with one another, our relationship with God, in, our, in the way that we are with other people trying to do the next right thing. It's really what Paul is calling us to as he answers those questions. Okay, that's enough for tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I, will, I will field no questions at this time. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, if you're watching my video on TV, thank you. God bless you. If you need anything, you can call us, write us, email us. We'll get back to you as quickly as we can. But we're gonna close here tonight with prayer. So let's do that. You can shut off the video.